It's Tuesday, March 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Hey happy, there. happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you. Happy National Pancake Day. Ooh. <laughs> That's going to hit the IHOP later? Mm, um, yes. Yesterday was National Cereal Day, I believe. So it's kind of a breakfast kind of week. Is it Carb Week? <laughs> it's Carb Week. I think IHOP is actually giving away free pancakes if I saw if, uh, some kind of a headline shoot across my computer, which can be kind of exciting. If they're not going to take advantage of this day, then then I don't know what they're doing. Do you have doing. a preferred type of pancake? Or are you just straight up give me pancakes? Uh, you know, I, I like IHOP, but I. Typically, don't get pancakes when I go there. I've I've made my own pancakes. But no, I mean like a flavor, chocolate chip or uh, I'll go blueberry. You give me some blueberries. Bl- blueberry. I don't even pronounce it that way. How do you... Blueberry. Okay. What did I say? Blueberry. All right. Let's move. I like on. banana. <laughs> banana is my go-to. We're gonna. In we're case gonna... you're caring. I, I, I you notice how I didn't ask you, <laughs> but now everybody knows. Yeah. If anyone is still listening, uh, we will dip into the full mailbag. Let's start though with some earnings from Perry Ellis. I guess they aren't really earnings; they're preliminary fourth quarter earnings and full year results. And how bad were they? Because the stock's down twelve percent this morning. Not that bad. And this one of these deep value opportunities where the expectations were pretty low in the first place. So the actual magnitude of the sell off is. It's taken me a little bit by surprise. The company basically updated their fourth quarter guidance and therefore their yearly guidance as well, and introduced guidance for next fiscal year. And their earnings for this fourth quarter are going to come in light to their own guidance, which obviously nobody ever likes to see, um, but happens from time to time. Not so bad that I think the stock or the company is worth 12% less than it was worth yesterday. Um, the company is actually in the middle or, or Maybe in the late innings of a restructuring, where it's exiting its weaker brands, it's increasing its international business, it's cutting costs, and it's doing all of that to make it a more profitable company. And they're actually doing quite well. Perhaps just a bit of a stumble in the fourth quarter here. Some some orders being pushed into the first quarter of the next year. Um, so after the sell-off, you've you've got a seventeen dollars stock with uh, guidance for next year earnings per share of around a dollar ninety ish. Stock trading at a PE of nine at this point, solidly profitable company, and they're doing things to make it even more profitable. The stock, the company is growing, earnings should grow. Uh, stock looks very cheap to me here, and I'm surprised by the sell-off. Did they have? I'm just looking at their profile, and they don't have that many locations, and I'm wondering. It's largely a wholesale business. Okay, so yeah. so is that is that the to the extent that they have a lever they can pull? Is that the best lever they can pull right now? Is just to expand distribution, or or does it make sense for them to open a few more locations? They've only got like like fifty locations. I prefer wholesale to retail myself. Retail is is tough, um, but I think what they need to do is exactly what they're doing. Is they had just too many brands. I mean, they've exited dozens of brands that were either not profitable or, or slightly profitable. Focus on on the main brands that they have. Get their margins up, which they are doing. That will increase profitability. That will drive the stock. All right, let's dip into the full mailbag. Radio at fool.com is our email address from Marvin Wang. I'm interested in your thoughts on Horsehead Holdings. I recall that your group's prevailing thought was a could they get their new factory up and running? And B, what would the Chinese metals market ultimately be like? Considering that they are now going bankrupt and that the shares are being delisted, what is the moral of this story? 
horse head holdings. This, this is this is a, I know this is a tough one for you. Tough, so, tough. So tough. I'm Ro- sorry to drag rode, you in here. Rode this one right into the ground, unfortunately. But I think um, I think the underlying question is a good one. It is a good one. First, um, let's understand they're they're in chapter eleven, which is restructuring, not chapter seven, which is liquidation. So theoretically, if all things go well, they will emerge from bankruptcy a stronger company. Um, but there's no guarantee. And even if they do emerge, the likelihood of there being any value left in the equity and the stock is pretty slim. I actually think there is real value, though, in this company. So I'm, I'm keeping fingers crossed that when they emerge, there will be some value for stockholders, but it's a tough battle here. The main risk to this company, the thesis, was, was always that the company is dependent on the health of a commodity. Namely, zinc, and that's largely dependent on the health of the Chinese economy, which which um, uses quite a bit of zinc. Um, certainly, when they were in in growth mode, they did. The second part of the thesis that was that was really a, a big risk to highlight was that they were going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to build a new production facility, which was going to increase profitability down the road, but it was going to take a while. It was going to cost a lot of money. So you have the risk of just as you're spending a ton of money, if the commodity markets go south, then all of a sudden your operating results are hurt and and you could get in trouble because their balance sheet wasn't as pristine as I would have liked to see. Unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. Perfect storm. Commodity markets tumbled, zinc prices tumbled. They couldn't get this new facility up and running um, quickly enough. They kept having problem after problem after problem that both delayed the ramp up as well as cost money. So you had all these things happening. They um, ended up defaulting on some of their interest payments, and that spiraled really quickly then. And they were forced to file Chapter 11 to restructure their balance sheet and and live to fight another day, which I think they will, but perhaps um, too little too late for, for shareholders. It seems like we have seen a version of this story um, maybe one step over in the oil and gas industry, Absolutely. and then several steps over in the tech industry, and that is uh, things get a little rocky, and things if you're in quote unquote growth mode, then you can spend the money on X, Y, and Z, whether it's a new production facility or investing in hiring in new new tech, whatever. Yep. But it seems like more and more over the last, I would say, tw- certainly the last 12 months, maybe the last 18 months, um, it's it's more and more important to have a solid balance sheet. Absolutely. So I think that's the lesson, especially when you're looking at a co- company that's based on a commodity, as you mentioned, oil and gas or or metals or whatever. You have to have a pristine balance sheet because if things go south with with whatever commodity you're focused on, you need to be able to ride it out, and that can take you know a year, two years, even more. So you need to have a great balance sheet. You need to understand the underlying supply and demand characteristics of whatever commodity you're looking at. And you also have to look at the company's capital spending program, because things might be fine, but they may have a plan, like Horsehead did, to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, and you need to understand that. I, I think it was Chevron I just saw this morning came out uh, with their CapEx spending for the year. Is, is they're cutting about three billion now. In the case of Chevron last year, I think it was twenty billion dollars. They're cutting it to seventeen, but still, but that's still, and that's very prudent. In an environment like this, you do want to rein in the spending. You may even have to cut a dividend. 
the bottom line, you know, you at all costs you must defend the business, defend that company, and do what's right for shareholders. And if that means slowing things down a bit so you can fight another day, then that's what you should do. From Tom Smith in Antioch, California, Tom writes, I'm rolling over about $60,000 from an old employer's retirement account into a rollover IRA. My plan is to put the money in an index fund, either Fidelity or Vanguard, or maybe 50% in each, just for fun. Let me stop right there. <laughs> just for fun. Well, no, no, because I, I, I mean, there's, there's another question, but I think, I think you want to look at the fees there, and I'm, I, I could be wrong, but I'm just guessing without, without knowing either. I'm assuming Vanguard's fees are lower than Fidelity's. I could be wrong about that, but if, if, if what we're talking about is just a simple S and P 500 index fund, in theory, the return you're going to get from both of those is exactly the same, and so your real return is affected by your fees, isn't it? I think that's right, and you could probably even look for even lower fees if you look at the ETF, the SPY, the Spiders, which mimics the S&P 500 as well. Um, Typically, ETFs have lower fees than even a Vanguard mutual fund does. Um, But the, the heart of his question is, does he put all the money into the market right, right. now? I was going to read that. Okay, please, <laughs> no, no. please continue. Uh, he goes on to write. My question is whether I should buy all at once or should I dollar cost average my money back into the market? I need to start with ten thousand dollars in either of the funds, I believe. So, if your answer is to dollar cost average, how much and how frequently? Should my subsequent investments be by rolling the money over? I've basically gone from being fully invested to not invested at all, and I'm not sure the best way to get back again. Thanks for the help and keep up the awesome work. So, Tom, I went and I went the extra mile for you, Tom. I went wow. to talk to Robert Brokamp, our um, advisor for our Rule Your Retirement newsletter, to get his thoughts on this. And here's what he thought. First, if you were in the market in the first place, rather than just having cash, which you were, then to put it all back into the market, Pretty quickly seems fine because you're just putting yourself back into the position you were, you know, relatively short time ago. If that does make you a little bit nervous for some reason, which it may or may not, it may not because you were all in the market in the first place. But if for some reason it does, then you can look um, to dollar cost average. Certainly, the conventional wisdom from of financial planners can differ, and it differs because it's. I don't know what your risk tolerance is. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know how far you are from retirement, but you often see a one-year time frame um, that financial planners will say dollar cost average in over a 12-month period of time. That sounds like a little bit of a, a, a long period of time, especially since someone like Tom was already in the market. So you know, he, I can't give him personal advice, but he can he can kind of use use that guidance to say you know now is probably fine, but if it makes you nervous. Take several months, whatever that may be, six months or so, and and put the money into the markets, um, you know, slowly, evenly over that time period, and you should be fine. Have you dollar cost averaged into an individual investment, whether it's a an index fund or a given stock? I don't do it based on like some sort of I'm I'm putting quote air quotes here yeah. on some sort of program where I say I'm going to buy every week or every month. It's based on the stock price movements. Um, if I know I kind of want to eventually own X amount of a stock, I'll put some in now. If the stock falls, I'll put some in. Uh, I'll buy some more. If the stock rises, I as a value guy tend to not be as excited to put more money into a stock. Um, but if it's still cheap, then perhaps I will. Um, 
average up my price. Would you know? Th- ideally, you'd want to average down. But if you still think a stock is cheap and a company is doing well, averaging up is certainly fine. Someone like David Gardner would certainly think it's fine. You know, as a company is doing Add well, to your winners. Yeah, if something's doing well, then nothing wrong with um, wanting to own more of it as it continues to do well. So I'll buy um, a position over a long period of time. It just won't be kind of like on this methodical, you know, monthly or weekly basis. What's the most number of times you have bought into an individual stock? Wow. Now you're talking professionally, uh, no, you know, no, in no. my hedge fund days, it could be just, thousands just of times. As an individual. Um, for me, for me, I think it's only twice. Twice. So I there's one stock that I accumulated over time, um, a very small microcap stock actually called LS Starat, ticker symbol SCX. What did they do? Um, they make five thousand different kinds of tools. Um, very non-tech and some a little bit more tech-based, laser-based. Not black and hammer tools. Not I'm going to Home Depot. You, I need some. Yeah, tools. you can oh, some really? of that as well. Um, but I accumulated this stock over years. Um, you know, very thinly traded. So 100 shares here, 500 shares there. Buying more and more stock over literally years of time, and then liquidating the stock also over a very long period of time. Was it a valuation play, or was there something about this business? No, it was completely just... valuation oh, okay. play. Nothing really very interesting or exciting about this business. It was just a pure, simply cheap company. <laughs> Before we wrap up, you were just in New Orleans. I really was. How was New Orleans? Your your yeah. your um, your daughter. I don't want to share too much no, of your personal fine. life, but your daughter is looking at colleges. Yes, and we, so you're doing a little bit of touring. Correct, a lot of travel in the month of March on the weekends. And um, Tulane in New Orleans was was beautiful. And come on, the town. Yeah, uh, always a good time. Maybe too good a time. Um, <laughs> you look like you got some, some color. I the weather was beautiful. The palm trees and sun. We were in Miami actually before that, so that was even warmer there. But um, you know, good food, good time in New Orleans. Cafe Dumont, beignets, absolutely. Oh. Cafe au lait, lots of powdered sugar. Mm, good stuff. You know what? I mean, pancakes are great. But <laughs> beignets are better. But beignets <laughs> at Cafe Dumont, that's that is even better. Yeah, so good. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.